Hello and welcome back to the FEZ show. We have just had the double header at Deeria and we've got so much to talk about today. With me is the Mr. Jack Pickering and Joshua Birch. How are we boys? Pico, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. Uh, ready to get stuck into what happened in Deeria and looking forward to uh, this weekend. It's the first of uh, three back-to-back-to-back new races. So yeah, uh, looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm not doing too bad. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on again as well. And uh, yeah, Dimio was quite the entertainment, wasn't it? Mexico didn't necessarily deliver the start to the new generation we wanted, but Dimio definitely put us on the right track as well. We've got a pretty good idea of where the season's going to go, and it's it's looking like it's going to be another close one. It is indeed, but this time not close potentially with 15 drivers. It looks like we might actually have a good old-fashioned two-horse race, which I can't actually remember a two-horse race really until probably like Degrassi and Bawemi in, in the early seasons of, of Formula E. Um, but that's the only place to start then. Porsche, crying and testing Pico, right? We don't have a car. We don't have a car. They've come out the first three races now. And they seem to have stolen a march on everybody. And so has Jake Dennis and Pascal Verlein. Obviously, Pascal Verlein picking up the two victories um, in Deere. How impressed were you, one, with Verlein and Dennis? Because they didn't qualify well, you know, let's say in 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 on day one. And they came through the field amazingly to get the results that they did in both races. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, just to go back on to when was the last time a two-horse thing, I, I want to say it was... Jev and Sam in season four or season five, but um, that's the last time I can really remember something like that happening. Um, but yeah, Porsche have really, really shocked us with how fantastic that they've been so far this season. We thought we, we we thought after Mexico City, oh okay, this might be a little bit of a fluke because Porsche have always done very well in Mexico. So okay, this is one race, but might not translate to Deria. However, we all had to eat humble pie because even though Verline and Dennis qualified what ninth and twelfth on day one, uh they still came they still came through to win one and two again on on the Friday. And similar again on the Saturday. Admittedly they were a bit further up, I think it was Verline fifth, Dennis yeah, sixth. Fifth. I yeah, can't yeah. I can't remember fully, but um but yeah, they still had uh, they still had an amazing amazing pace to get up to the front. I think uh, from what we heard over the course of the Deary weekend, um, it's the thing. It's it's what they had in testing, but now it's coming to an advantage because they had like they 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 weren't great on their brakes in Valencia, and then once you get to these tracks having not fantastic breaks is seemingly regenerating more energy and then that's that's making them fly further further up the field and yeah I think it's a fantastic job from Porsche Jaguar Jaguar I'd say are hot on their on their heels we saw Buemi take a, a pole position for the Envision team powered by Jaguar and Bird was uh, fantastic it's so brilliant to see Sam back near the front but um uh and it does mean that i do eat my words of what i said in the last show where i said that he might be going through a bit of an alexander rossi phase uh i i'm so happy to see sam back at the front but um but yeah it does seem that porsche just have that extra little bit at the moment talking there josh about the breaks um because obviously 
it's it's interesting that their qualifying pace is not great at this precise moment, and they they are having to fight through the field uh, to get where they are. So it the, the brake system that they have is hampering them a little bit. They can't really get the best out of the car in in, in a one lap pace compared to say a Neo, for example, at this moment who can get a really good lap pace. We'll talk about them later. Um, but it's really interesting that they they're struggling there, but they can recover so much in the race. Yeah, it is a bit strange, isn't it? I mean, looking at the group stages from the second race as well, Dennis was fourth in that session as well in Group A, and Verline was third in the group stages as well, and they really struggled as well. Obviously, they got through the quarterfinals, semifinals, but then, as uh, you heard Pico say, fifth on the grid for Verline, Dennis was sixth as well. Race one, they were ninth and 11th on the grid. So their qualifying is a bit of a worry as well. That could hamper them at tracks as well, where it's difficult to overtake at. Diria, we all thought, well, it's pretty much a single-file race, but there was a lot more overtaking this year than we expected, especially on the long straight from 17 all the way to 18. And then drivers were finding ways through it, uh, 14 as well, just after the bobsleigh section with some daring moves around the outside. So I think the new generation of cars definitely helps the overtaking value as well. It, it doesn't punish you for a bad qualifying also, I think the addition of laps now means that there's not so much of an urgency on the drivers now because we've been seeing the races have been sort of like going on for an hour instead of the 46, 47 minutes we've been used to for the past couple of seasons. So they've got more time to plan, more time to sit behind for a lap or two, look for a good manoeuvre and go for it. And that's what we saw Verline and Dennis were doing in both the races as well. When they were climbing back up, they were planning their moves. They weren't just diving through. They were calculated. And to be fair, they were quite, almost robotic maneuvers that they were doing it was just like automated going past so definitely they've got the great race pace to capitalize but this braking system has been a big big worry of mine as well and it seems to be not only on the porsches but also on the ds paratrain as well where the braking is such a big thing because it's either working either 50 percent of the time it's not good or 100 percent of the time it's too powerful so it comes to a too much of a quick stop and we see that in qualifying uh, not so much in the bobsleigh section, but Dennis was always losing a lot of time uh, coming out of turn 14 and into 17, where you first touch the brakes after just sort of free falling down the hill. So they've got to fine tune that. And we've also got to remember it's the first weekend where they had the emergency brake that they could use as well if they felt the brakes were failing. So they're still like the drivers are either slightly nervous about the brakes still after testing. So it's, it's just a bit of give and take for a learn. But I think one thing I'm worried about, as, as thinking back to my original point, as soon as we get to a circuit where overtaking is difficult in the race, I'm thinking Jakarta, I'm thinking Monaco as well, where it's overtaking at the front but not at the back, we're going to see them start to struggle if they have a bad quality. Yeah, that could be very interesting. I was also thinking, just talking about bricks, I did, didn't really get to the bottom of the Mahindra issue because obviously we had Lucas Degrassi crash in practice and then Nico Muller. And then Nico Muller said it's exactly the same as what happened to, to Degrassi. It looked like from TV that they just went to him, but it'd be interesting if that was also some form of braking problem there. But what I want to throw to, to Pico is this is a great Porsche start from the Andretti side, obviously powered by Porsche, but we're only seeing it from Dennis and... Verline at this precise moment. So are we surprised? Because we got Antonio Felix da Costa in the other Porsche. You'd expect if Pascal Verline was able to climb through the field, that Antonio Felix da Costa, the champion in season six, would be able to do the same. And Andre Lotter is no slouch either. So why do you think the Costa and Lotter are struggling, Pico? 
Yeah, it's 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 an interesting one, really. Uh, that we they're, they're only seeing two of the four being up there consistently fighting. However, Lotra did uh, did finish uh, P four in that in in the Mexico race, and I believe De Costa did also get points in that one as well. But I think it's mainly because they are new to those teams, so they are still settling in. They're still they're still learning the team and everything like that. And so I reckon that they will be coming on in the in the next few races, but they're still learning they're still and and the thing is both their teammates Verline and Dennis they are both world-class drivers they are they are insatiably quick they are very hard to beat as teammates so yeah I think I I, I think they will get to that level I'm not sure whether because it is very, very much uh Verline's team and Dennis's team and it's kind of what it has been for a couple of years now on both in both camps. And so for them to come into the teams and try and upset it, I don't think it's going to happen immediately. And if it happens, it's going to take a few races for uh, for it to happen. But I I wouldn't be surprised if we see De Costa or Lotterer get back up near the top five-ish or so in, in the next few races. Yeah, Josh, what do you think about Lotterer and De Costa? You know, are you expecting them to eventually bow at the front or you know there's surely they're both class drivers they should be able to get there were you surprised that over two races in Diria like okay the first one may be excusable but the second race you would have expected them to maybe perform better I know the cost obviously had the the accident on race one but which may have hampered him for race two yeah, I mean, he, he qualified 17th on the grid in race two as well. But um, we we were having the discussion on here, actually. Myself and Tom Dillon, who was in the comp box when we ever do, yeah. And we were saying how it was a big surprise, the gap between the teammates as well. And I mentioned it also in another show because it's now a worry going into the rest of the season if Lotterer as well of, and uh, as if Lotterer and DaCosta can't actually get the gap up to where Verline and Dennis are because that's not, going to help the team in the team's championship as well. That's looking incredibly competitive this year as well. But Lotterer has never won a Formula E race. He's been close on so many occasions as well. We do call him the bridesmaid of Formula E. He's had, what, more second place finishes than anybody else in the series. Uh, he's had four pole positions over the top of my head. Maybe that could be seven. Uh, but he's been really competitive across Gen 1, Gen 2, and and. You could see him in Gen 3 in testing. He was a surprise, uh, topping a couple of sessions for around about half an hour before the running has got in. I know, Pika, you were there. You saw uh, the Porsches were doing quite good there in testing, but it was overshadowed by the Maseratis and the DS uh, Penskis. We'll get onto that later. But I am slightly concerned about the poor showing from both of them in Diria because that's two races in two days and a weekend they've both had disasters. Da Costa's alarmed me more because he had that accident in the start of race one. That wasn't his fault, but he had a poor qualifying. So he was in that position where the train uh, bunches up on each other. And then in race two, he was practically nowhere. I mean, Lotterer as well. Where did he start on the grid in the second race? I'm just looking. He was 18th on the grid. He was on the same row as Da Costa. So there's there's no excuses. Going into the rest of the season, you've had three races now and a whole a couple of weeks of testing. You know what that car can do. And if you don't perform soon, you're going to be either looking for a new job at the end of the year or replaced mid-season as well. Because I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if they consider that because they've got to think of the team's championship. Da Costa is a champion, 
But has he really performed since he won that championship in season seven? I don't think he has that much. Uh, well, it's an interesting point there. But what I think is is interesting is the, how quickly they could become a number two, effectively, right, in that team. And obviously, Lotterer and De Costa mainly, right, in that Porsche, doesn't want to become a number two to Verline. And, and, and they could easily fall into that, that trap. But Pico, is it too early? I know I called it at the beginning that it could be a two-horse race of a championship. But with three races in, it's going to be thick and fast between now, you know, it's races every two weeks now for a good couple of periods. Could teams catch up? Is there enough time for teams to catch up, let's say, like the Jaguars? We know the Jaguars, you said, were pretty close. Could they catch up? Could an Envision sort of turn it on? Could DS Penske and uh, Maserati maybe, you know, turn the screw and, and McLaren, you know, obviously were Mercedes last season. Like, could any of them mount a charge or is it just too quick of the turnaround at the moment between races and and that could really elevate this you know verline dennis championship i feel like they could i, I still think it's too early to say anything because we, we 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 have only had three races this is a this is a 16 round championship we cannot call this too early but uh looking at the standings at the moment verline and dennis both have double the points of sebuemi in third but yes, they 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 could they they could catch up. We after uh, Cape Town, we've got a month to Brazil, and then we've got a month after that to Berlin. And so, it, it, they they could very easily in those two big uh, periods where we're not racing, uh, have some developments come in and potentially um potentially go get further up the grid. But I, I, at the moment, you you would bet on either Verline or Dennis. And so congratulations, Ed Hunter, uh, from the first from the first show of the season where he said Dennis for the title. And we just went down the DS route. Um but um uh but yeah I, I, I do think that all the all the teams in the power change they'll 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 be able to find something over the course of this season. This is a learning season. We're still getting used to these uh these cars and these powertrains and so it wouldn't surprise me if it if by by the time where 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 we get to like Portland or something like that we're we're saying oh we're, the DS cars are dominating at the moment or something like that again like we were saying just before the season because that's what Formula E is it it just constantly just chops and changes all the time if you're predicting something about the championship you're a fool. <laughs> That's our jobs, though. We've got to predict about it. <laughs> uh, Josh, though, but after India, we'd be 25%, basically, because, you know, 16, whatever, you know, 20, simple maths, right? I hope I got that right, because I'm going to get absolutely killed if I got that wrong. Um, but could that be too late? If So if if Dennis and Verline get it right and continue their dominance, you know, let's say a Jaguar catches up or a McLaren catches up and then, you know, they, Verlein and Pascal, they could have built a big enough lead by then, right? Where they might get caught up, but they've got a decent cushion. And we know how important consistency is in Formula E. You have to be consistent. And to, to be basically the top two, three races in a row, That's a, you can't get any more consistent than that. Yeah, I'm, I'm being reminded of when it was Degrassi and Bohemi in season two, where the consistency between the two was... Uh, separated by a single point at the end of the season as well. And 
I think that's the key thing here. If we do get to after round four, even though we have got a, a break bet- before uh, Sao Paulo after South Africa, and then we've got a month break after before we head to the European rounds of the season as well. But if you're in that good of a position, it doesn't matter if you have a month's break or a four months break. Look at Da Costa when he did win his championship. We had the nine, what was it, six races in nine days, and he wrapped it up on weekend two because he was so far ahead before the pandemic. No matter what break you have, what development time you have, if you've got the points in the bag, it's pretty much done and dusted. I think that's what they're going to be looking forward at this stage with the whole new generation of car. We all expected. Uh, the DS Penske's and the Maserati's to go away with it with a challenge from the uh, Neil McLaren's as well. McLaren sort of lived up to their preseason testing hype as well. Uh, DS Penske and Maserati have fallen so far down the back of the field. You would think that it was watching a 2005 Minardi and Jordan. Uh, but in all honesty, I think the Porsches were the big surprise. I don't think anybody saw this coming. And I really like the fact that we've got a, a sort of, I don't want to have to, it's a shot, it's a complete shot out the blue, isn't it? Whatever it is. We don't understand why this has happened, but we love seeing it. And it's not making a prediction that they're going to be the champions. It's it's making a prediction of the immediate future that, as you say, by 25% of the championship, if they had continue with the one-twos, which I think they're going to, because we saw how fast that Porsche powertrain is after the safety car came in. The acceleration, it was unbelievable. It was both of them were gone and they had so big of a gap to Rast and Bird who were battling over third and fourth. And I think Evans was involved there too. So they've got the power. They have got the better deployment of the battery. And I don't think that's going to be able to be caught, get caught up. So we're looking at a Verline Dennis with a challenge probably from Jake Hughes and the McLaren. Yeah, that's the, the beauty of a new regulations, right? And 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 it's back to the early days for me for Formula, and maybe the same way when we went to Gen Two, is that the development race, the software, you know, making these advancements are so key at this stage. Because obviously, as we get further into the Gen Three cycle, you know, finding those little tweaks here and there with the with obviously the two year cycle now with the with the hardware. Um, it's much more difficult to find those gains, and this season you've got a big chance to find gains. So it wouldn't surprise me if teams catch up. Uh, I want to make a quick note on Jaguar, just because obviously they were the team closest Pico to um, the Porsches of of Andretti and and obviously Porsche. And Sam Bird doing Sam Bird things here, which I thought was really clever in 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 race two. Obviously, he gets the podium in in race one. But what he did race two was he did the old trick of just sitting behind the slipstream. And, you know, Mitch Evans didn't have as much energy as as Sam did. And I think Sam was so cunning. I'm not saying Jaguar have the same efficiency because I don't think they do as Porsche. But I think Sam was so smart, you know, saving his energy that allowed him to attack. And obviously um, he missed out on on scoring another podium um, because it was on that mistake that he did trying to pass Rene Rast. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Well, I'm not sure if if this was the uh, the case for Josh whilst he was commentating as well. But uh, but halfway through the race, we were going. Has there ever been a podiums that have been same on two days and a weekend? Yeah, was, yeah. Uh, Josh is is violently nodding his head at me. So yeah, we 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 were all trying to work this out. Has there ever been a podium being exactly the same? And there wasn't. And so it would it 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 was looking likely at that point. Bird might overtake. Uh, Bird might overtake Rast, and it would have just been the exact same both days. I was trying to find out where Buemi was. He was he was too far down in seventh, unfortunately. But um, 
but yeah, it was uh, uh, it, Jaguar were are back. Sam's back, and 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 that was wonderful to see. And and yeah, I, he he did a masterful race. Yes, they don't have the same efficiency that, that the Porsches do, but I think that Jag powertrain uh, it will it will win races at some point this season. I I I wouldn't be surprised if they win it this weekend. It, it's 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 there or thereabout, and and it's not just the race pace. We've seen it with one lap pace as well through Sebastian Buemi. He's been. I mean, the thing is, like I said, Buemi. And yes, last year was a better season, but in season seven, he was nowhere. When there was eighteen drivers fighting for the championship in season seven, Sebastian Buemi was not one of them, and that was something that was just astonishing. But last year was all right, but he came. But he's now. Hit the reset button with Envision. He's got a good powertrain underneath him. And actually, Seb is there or thereabout. Don't count him out for the championship this year. I know. And I'm glad to hear that because I'm a big Boemi fan. I'm, I'm really interested to speak to him hopefully later in the season and, and, and find out kind of the story behind behind his sort of uh, revitalization. Um, you could say, I want to move on to McLaren, Josh, um, because... Great weekend again. We knew they were going to be strong from the Mercedes package, but Rene Ras kind of was a little bit in, in no man's land in Mexico. Uh, gets the podium and, and a strong fifth place finish as well. Uh, I think it was for um, for him in, in in race two. How impressed have you been with Jake Hughes, though? Because Jake Hughes, he seems to have the raw pace. You know, he qualifying gets that pole, but he, do you think he's just still lacking on that? You know, he's that rookie this season and that energy efficiency is probably the thing that's just letting him down because he has the pace to become a future Formula E champion, I think. Oh, I, I agree with you. And I've said it in the commentary box as well several times this season already because it takes amazing talent to come into an electric series that we've seen experienced drivers come into, struggle and then leave. For him to come in do the testing, be impressive. He won the simulation race. Let's not forget that as well. That was a big important factor because it may have only been a simulation, but those guys were pushing hard. They wanted to test it to the maximum. He got the lead. Rene Ras finished in second. Then we came into Mexico. He qualified third on the grid as well. Finished, I think, in P5 in that one as well after dropping back. But that was another great debut for him. Second in race two in qualifying and then uh, race three, uh, the second rate weekend in Diria, uh, he got the pole position. I thought that was fantastic to go from three, two, one in qualifying. All, all in the jewels was absolutely fantastic. And I love the commitment he's bringing to it as well. The the race craft he's got as well. The, the battles we've seen with him on track are, are some of the best we've seen for a long time in Formula E. And I agree with you. The energy management is one of the biggest things he's got to learn about. But we saw that with Jean-Éric Verne when he came in in the championship as well. Stuck it on pole in his first race in Punta del Este. Struggled with the energy management. Slipped back through the field. It's a different game to saving fuel and saving battery energy. You've got to learn to use the regen manually. Under braking as well. They've got the new front regen powers. It's all different as well. The cars are heavier. You've got to turn in more. So it's all new. But it's an impressive start, and I think he can get up there. He's definitely going to win a race this season. I don't think he's going to be in title contention. I think he'll be third in the championship, but a long gap between them. So that's impressive. Rene Rast, 
I think we were all surprised to see him come back into Formula E. I was a bit disappointed as well that he got left out of Formula E after he came back in season seven for the six races, nine days, did an amazing performance, got two fastest laps in that time as well over the weekend, and then didn't get picked up by anybody else as well when At left, and that was a disappointment. So fingers crossed that this new coming of age of Rene Rast is going to keep delivering. Mexico, yeah, bit of nowhere, but I think we were all, I know I was, I don't know about you two, but I was shouting, I was cheering, and I was going, this is amazing, when he was holding back Bird so much in that race. And to get third on the podium was absolutely magical. So well done, Rene Rast. McLaren, they've inherited, you say, the Mercedes team, uh, but they have got an absolutely fantastic powertrain under them. They've got a fantastic commitment of team, and I think they're going to be champions of the future once more. Well, they've already done it twice under Mercedes. They're going to do it now, I think, for a third time under McLaren's name. Indeed. It'll be interesting to see what they do. I want to talk about Rasto, uh, Pico, for you. How impressed, like, how, like, as, as Josh said, like, he, he pops in, you know, he did a great job for Audi, didn't get the seat. And, you know, he popped in, remember, back in, in season two in, in, in Berlin as well um, for for Andretti. Like, he just pops in, he can he just comes in and he can drive that Formula E car and he can get something out of it really quickly. Yeah, I, I'm I'm super super excited to to see Ras back on the grid. I was actually really disappointed with his showing in Mexico because he was, uh, whilst Jake was through to Super Bowl, um, not Super Bowl. How many years am I going back now? Uh, through to the uh, uh through to the jewels, and he got into uh, he got into, uh, he was he was third on the grid. <laughs> One thing that I found fascinating, he was third on the grid in Mexico, second for the first race interior, then got pole position on that on that um, Saturday race, which was fantastic, but um. Rast was really nowhere in Mexico City. He qualified down the order in night fifteenth, and he kind of stayed there until he parked it up later. Uh, uh, later on in that race, whereas in Diria, it was nice to see him fighting back through the field. Uh, 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 back through the field, he got he got into. I think he got into the jewels on day one. Obviously, he got into the jewels on day two. But um, but yeah, he um, but yeah, it's it's good to see him back on the podium, and the fact that he like raced through as well, um. Yeah, I, 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 again, he's another contender that I will go. Don't count him out for the championship. But then again, this is Formula E. I could say about ten different names and say don't count him out for the championship, and people would nod their heads. Go, yeah, you're right. Until this weekend, when it's Jake Dennis one two again with Pascal Verlaine, and you go, actually, everyone's 50, 60 points back. So uh, yeah, count them out. <laughs> but yeah, um, a really interesting, really, really interesting weekend from from McLaren, and interesting to see how they'll progress. I want to talk about the goods now, and obviously we've got McLaren. Obviously, went too bad. Porsche and Andretti, but I've got to talk about Neo and Dan Tinkton because I think Josh Dan Tinkton showed us how good he can be in Formula E, and I think there was. There was elements last season where we were like, oh, yeah, Dan, he could do really well. Obviously, he did really well up against Oliver Turvey. And then this season so far, he has been that shining light. It's just a real shame at this precise moment that Neo don't have the energy efficiency. But as Formula is evolving, if Neo can get their act together, Josh, Dan Tinkton surely could win a race this season. I, I completely agree with you. And I think it's really been the tragedy, isn't it, of this season? The biggest one is the fact that Dan Tickton has been progressing so much in Formula E and now he's slipped back massively during the races. That 
regenerability of the Neo has always been a bit of a worry. They've always been a backmarker team as well. Wherever you look at them throughout the history of Formula E, all the way from Gen 1, Gen 2, and Gen 3, they've always been at the back. They've never managed to break through. The rare occasions we've seen them have dominance as well. We really know that they've been a flash in the pan, brilliance, and then they slip back again the next week. They have started the season strongly. We've been surprised by that as well. Neo 333... I think have been waiting for the generation change. They were they were complaining, weren't they? Really, last year quite a lot. Like, oh, wait, we're just focusing on next year mainly. I think Penske were doing the same thing when they were back with Dragon. They were saying, oh, well, we're just sort of slacking this year off. We're looking at next year. Maybe they want to go back. I don't know. But still, I'm really really happy with Dan Tickton. No longer has he got that unfortunate nickname he got in the European Championships as well of Dick Tantrum as they were affectionately calling him as well. That was always something of a bit of a giggle. Uh, and he seems to have matured a lot. He is still complaining on the radio though, but that is something I enjoy listening to. I can put him up on the fader in the commentary and just listen to him. But I think it's not it's no longer the whining, is it? It's more like he's he's aggressively pushing the team to get better and it's he's putting really good feedback from the car and the data on the track in the practice sessions he's always active if he has a bump in the corner he says you know we've got to change the suspension setup it's it's too stiff through this part of the track and then the front end it's just it's not gripping quite the right as well just the tight pressure just a little bit as well give me as much grip as possible so i'm liking that I think, where is he? He was in race two, qualified 11th, and that's one of his worst grid positions in the year, was the, it was the third race. Uh, but he was fourth in the grid race two, and race one in Mexico, he was fifth, I believe. So really good, strong start to the season. He can win a race this year, and I reckon it'll be around the, the Jakarta double. I don't think Berlin's a bit too soon. It's a too aggressive track, but a double header, I think, suits him. So I think Jakarta, he could be really good at, which is, I think, the next double after Berlin. One yeah, thing but... that I will say very quickly is that when Dan Tickton tops FP2, I went through every single practice session since to see if Neo had topped anything else. Um, and no, it was the first time that they topped the session since Oliver Turvey got pole position in season four. So I think that really shows how far that they've gone. Yeah, in season four, because I remember that with um, Nelson Piquet Jr. and Oliver Turvey, that one too in 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 Hong Kong as well, under the guise of Next Dev TCR. Um, but obviously under Neo Free for Free, since they've gone to that name since season five, it hasn't really been uh, picturesque since the Tom Dillman days and Oliver Turvey gone. We're going back now. The history lessons, history lessons. Now we can actually do history lessons in Formula E. Uh, but anyway, moving on. Um, we kind of mentioned Bohemi. I'll, I'll, I'll wrap up Bohemi, but it's good to see him back. I think Sebastian Buemi, he's had some difficult seasons at Nissan and, and I'm sure there's a story um, to why as well, especially with Maximilian Gumpfer as well, because he was, you know, really good at, really good at BMW, strong at Dragon, uh, has lost, his, lost his way at Nissan. And it's interesting to see what happened. We thought in testing that it could revitalize Maximilian Gumpfer, but I did. I didn't. I was hoping so because I, I, I really rate Maximilian Gunther as a driver. But so far for Maserati, um, it hasn't been great for them. But let's talk about one map. Um, Sasha Fenestras, another rookie in that in that Nissan, Josh. He's he's one of those drivers at the moment who is easy to forget because Nissan are one of those teams at the moment which is like yeah, they're in the 50-50, they're bang in the middle, right? Some if they can get it right, they can, you know, he got into into the jewels in one of the race weekends. 
But if they don't get it right, then you know you're not also expecting him to make the jewels. So if he makes the jewels, it's a bonus in effect for for Sasha Fenestres. But how impressive have you been with his start to the season? I think he's been another good one as well. I think he's still learning the ropes of Formula E. He did those two races back in Seoul uh, as well in South Korea at the end of the last year uh, after an injury, of course, back in London for the permanent driver. Uh, but I, I'm thinking as well, Fenestras has been racing a lot. I've, I went back actually as part of my driver research to look at the race he did in Macau. And I thought that was because it's a street circuit, tight, twisty, similar to what we have in Formula E. And he was impressive, but I just think it's going to take a little bit more time for him to get to grips to be consistent in Formula E. We've seen good in Mexico, bad race one, Diria, okay race two, Diria, as you say. He is very much a 50-50 driver in a 50-50 team. So I would say give him half the season, and then I think second half of the season, we'll see him shine a bit more. And then next season, we'll see the coming for Sasha Venestras pretty much back at the top end where I think that team is pretty much progressing to. Yeah, it's really interesting because the Nissan story, ever since going back to season five when they had that dual motor and, and, and they were so really good out of the acceleration and ever since that kind of got banned and they've really struggled, I think, to to adapt to that. And obviously things have changed. And I was hoping maybe for them going into Gen 3 that maybe things will change and we'd see them on the up. But they're still, you know, that team's got so much history. It's the it's the original E-Dams team that won the first couple of uh, Constructors' Championships. And we haven't actually, um, you know, seen that. And it'd be nice to get Nissan back and that and that team back um, to the top. So I want to move on now to to the bads, really. Um, and we had a few. DS and Maserati were, were on my bads for, for Mexico, and they're still on my bads. I'm shocked, right? And I'm going to come to Josh on this first. Like, okay, we assume DS has been so strong, right? And yeah, you could say even last season, they, they weren't that great. They weren't that solid um, in season eight compared to, let's say, the, the Mercedes at the time because they did struggle in, in, in quite a few races, but we just have this air of expectation that DS would have got this right, right? They've been so powerful. And for them to look like they've got it wrong at the, this precise moment or, or not be able to get to grips with, you know, qualifying and race pace, they just seem to be a bit in, in no man's land, Josh. Yeah, and it's a really big worry, isn't it, as well? They've made something wrong from the testing in Valencia to race one in Mexico. And now it's followed them into race two and three. It is shocking. It's worrying. I know that Mortara did have the brake failure, of course, in Mexico. And that wasn't his fault because it was a system that we were seeing failing across the whole range of cars in testing. But I am concerned the fact that the pace is just not there. Van Dorn didn't score a point uh, for the first couple of races. That was a big surprise. Uh, Vern, who swapped over from one gold car to a second gold car, uh, I thought would be the one consistent because he's used to these powertrains from DS. Hasn't struggled a lot. Sort of coming back to what we know him as. But Maserati, I think, are my biggest worry because they've completely fallen by the wayside. After we thought it's going to be DS wiping away, we'll have McLaren up there as well. Porsches may be there in testing has come to the fact that the Porsches are dominant. McLarens are okay. Jaguar is getting its act together now. McLaren's still good, as we said. Envision's looking better than anybody expected. and Nobody's even mentioning what's happening at DS in terms of good light. It's all bad. Penske really needed a a saviour 
after what we saw in the previous couple of years as well. It hasn't happened. That's alarming. And now I, we had Mark Preston in the commentary box as well. And I, and I asked him, I bet you're glad you, not have, you don't have the DS power chain at the moment. And he sort of laughed it off and said, yeah. Uh, but I think he's, I think he was genuine because it doesn't look like a championship winning power uh, unit at all. And I'm, I'm concerned about the future that they're going to go because they could pull out, but it's a waste. It is a pure waste. And I think it's going to take them a season or two to correct this error already, as you said, because we've got two years locked in with these cycles of engines or battery powered units as well. And I think Maserati wanted to come in. We're back in racing for the first time in so many decades as well. We're putting it into electric energy. It's the future. We'll be winning in our first season. Testing. Look how good that went as well. Watches in Mexico. And then it's all sort of gone down the toilet faster than a dodgy burrito. So, yeah, not great at Indeed. all. Indeed. I don't understand it. I must admit, Pico, I don't understand it. And from testing, they look so good, right? Both DS, both. And, and I know, I know. There's so many people in the comments right now going, don't trust testing, and you're one of them, Pico. But testing is supposed to give us an indication, right, of what's supposed to happen. And I'm trying to think, and I'm, I'm probably incorrect on this, and you're probably, but my theory is, like, I know Valencia is not a street track, right? But you 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 see how the car's performing, and the car's giving you some form of data, and you kind of react to that data, Right. And I'm trying to think, have Maserati gone somewhere and, and DS have gone somewhere where, you know, and sort of seeing what the car was doing in, in Valencia and developed something or done something. And it hasn't actually correlated from testing to, to the track, because how can you be so quick in testing and then be absolutely nowhere come come the actual track seasons? And then we even went to Mexico, which is partly very similar to Valencia, because it is you know, street is is circuit uh, tarmac, and they still couldn't perform there. So how how can you go from one extreme to another so quickly? It's an interesting one, and um and uh, per personal anecdote time. Uh, I've recently bought a new car that's um that is a DS three. So no bias will be shown here. Um, but uh, yeah, I, it is sad to see them fall by the wayside, basically, because yes. They now have points on the board. Yes, I think Stoff got a point in Mexico City. Uh, Vern, uh, Vern said that there's more to come because uh, he uh, he showed by coming through the field in I think it was the second Deary race. He started down uh, in 14th or something like that. Joss is checking uh, and then still came up to finish seventh or eighth. Um, so hang on. It's, it's, 17th 16th 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 yes he started 16th cheers josh um but um but yeah you could have just said it come through and get it. yeah yeah just... sorry <laughs> it's on my notes in the box yeah but even then still come through and score points in the in uh in the second race and i think he uh and i think he looked kind of all right through throughout the race so they're coming it's just we expected a lot, lot more from them, and and you you are damn right. I told you not to trust testing, and you still did. And look what that's got you. 
admittedly I said um that uh I think it was I said Vern I think I said Vern would win his third championship um back in the first show of the year and that's going swimmingly as well but um but yeah it's it's uh, I'm just happy that it's going worse for your predictions Jack Leave Maximilian Gunther alone, right? I thought he was going to be my man. I still think he's going to be my man, right? I don't know what's going on, poor Max. But I just, I honestly, I just think it's a strange one. I really do. Like, I think, I don't know. I, we always talk about Valencia and, and 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 what would be an ideal testing track for for teams. And I, I don't think the problems come from Valencia. I think I'm, I'm trying to give them an excuse, really, to, to, to what's gone wrong, because... I, but I don't understand how the pace can be so strong. And to be honest, I don't understand how Porsche could could have been so weak potentially in testing. And, and you know, Pascal and Jake Dennis saying that they couldn't do those lap times and couldn't match what Maserati and DS were doing, and then come out and they're the strongest team. In it makes no sense, which is it's, it's really interesting. So it shows you that maybe you know in other series testing does give you a slight pecking order, whereas maybe um, in Formula E I've got to learn that it doesn't. Uh, give you any pecking order whatsoever. The other team that I wanted to talk about was Mahindra Josh because, okay, Lucas Degrassi in Mexico, you know, had a great start and, and a great drive to get that podium. And then we go to Deer Rate and you think like, okay, you know, Pico was optimistic about Mahindra. They've got a great powertrain and we get to Deer and it, it just doesn't click. And and you've got two races, you've got two bites of cherry. Okay, if you get it wrong in the first race, it can happen. Things happen in Formula E. We get it right for race two. And they didn't get it right for race two. And going into their home race uh, this weekend, like for them, they've got to find something. They have. They really do. And they've had a restructure in the managerial side as well and a whole new generation. It's basically a whole new team, the feel that they've got there as well. And it's taking time to bed in, I feel, as well, because you had the energetic president of Dilbag Gill, who was always so passionate as well. You saw him as well in the garage after a great result or a bad result, you could always tell by the look on his face. And yet with the new team principal as well, you cut to the garage and it was like a robot as well. As someone's forgot to wind him up in the morning as well. So you can sort of say, hello, wake up. And it's, it's getting a little bit ridiculous because you need someone to be energetic. You need somebody to show the good and the bad and carry the team with them as well. So I'm looking for, you're both laughing, but you're saying we all down the box. Uh, but I really am thinking that Mahindra are sort of on a wavy line this season as well, that they're on a roller coaster. They're going to have some great times, they're going to have some bad. And I think, well, again, mid-half of the season, we'll see them back up there. But I think Degrassi was a, a great signing as well. And Lucas being a Mahindra is just being absolutely dynamite to watch. He has been pulling up some great moves in Deerier as well. Uh, and Mexico, I'm sorry, uh, that was a great one. I'm remembering when he was in that little battle at the front of the field almost, it was like, oh, this is still Formula E. I remember I read a TikTok about it as well because it, it, it was some great side-by-side manoeuvres as well. And it wasn't great, Mexico, in terms of the confidence we were expecting it to be, but we did see shimmering moments of what the generation could be. Diria showed us how great it could be and how dominant it's going to be. So coming into their home race for Mahindra, they're going to be on prime display. They're going to go all out and it'll be a party atmosphere. And I'm really hopeful that we get uh, Degrassi on the podium because I think he's the more likely of the two drivers to do so. 
for those who want to see for those who want to see Josh Birch versus Fred Bertrand, I believe Sky Box Office is going to have it. Um... <laughs> oh no! Here we go. Shots fired. No, but to be honest with you, I'm not saying I agree with you, but I get where you're coming from, right? As a leader, you've got to show some sort of, you know, passion. There's, there's got to be something behind. I think it's probably very early uh, to probably start shooting your gun at him. But um, but I get where you're coming from, right? You you want someone to lead you. Like Jay Pensky, right? There's something about Jay Pensky always, ever since I've met Jay Pensky, that just scares you, right? You do not want to make a mistake when Jay Pensky is around and you've got that sort of leader, you know, authority there. And you, you just look at Jay Pensky. And I was thinking like earlier when we were talking about DS, like, Jay Penske's probably rubbing his hands like, yes, I've got GGS powertrain, one of the best powertrains. You know, finally, you know, back in those days, I remember him, you know, giving me a, a nice little lecture why Faraday Future was going to be, you know, the next best thing for, for Dragon and, and this powertrain that never happened. And, and he's rubbing his hands finally after all these seasons of not getting what he wanted. Yeah, but he's got that scary figure. You know, when you you, you know you see Jay Pensky, he can be furious at times. So I, I kind of get your I kind of get your point. But it's time to talk about India, right? Because it's a new track. It's kind of like a level playing field. You could say, right? No one knows. There's no track history. There's no data really going um into into this race, Pico. So yes, the Porsche powertrain could be the strongest and could well be the strongest going into this weekend. But maybe it gives throws up the opportunity for a DS to get their season back on track, to, for a Jaguar to overtake, for an Envision to do something, right? And maybe even a Nissan to get it right and maybe, you know, pull a surprise. Do you think that going to a new track will give us the surprise, potentially? Do you buy into that ethos? Or do you think we should just expect the status quo at the moment, which is, you know, Andretti via Dennis and Porsche with Verline at the front? I think the fact that it's a clean sheet makes it um, easier for Porsche's rivals. But um, but the thing is, I'm, so, so, I'm I'm now going to go into weekend going, don't rule out Porsche. They're still going to be there or they're about. But I would not be surprised if we see a Jaguar win this weekend. It would be fantastic if we saw a Mahindra win. I, I don't think that's very likely, but they could uh, they could get on the podium and. Um, Josh may have to eat his words, but um, <laughs> with all new circuits, it's going to be a it uh, uh, it's going to be an interesting one. We do not know what on earth is going to happen, and and actually, I think what we find this weekend will give us an inkling about what to expect for the next two races because they were also brand new tracks in Cape Town and Sao Paulo. So it either is Formula is going to become very predictable over the next couple of weeks, or it could be. That Formula E becomes really unpredictable. What's your thoughts on that, Josh? You don't get journalism anywhere else, guys. Like, you don't get journalism like this anywhere else. It will or won't be predictable. We do not know. <laughs> we do not know until we go to the track. This could be a deciding factor in the World Championship, is what Jack Nichols kept saying into the ring. Uh, if I do have to eat my words, I'll just start licking this microphone like a nice lolly, so that'll be fine. Um, in all honesty, I think coming into this weekend, as I said earlier, podium is possible uh, for Mahindra, especially with Lucas Degrassi. It is, I think, the first, correct me please, guys, I think it's the first time since season one that we've had three races back-to-back that has been brand new venues. I can't remember a time where we've had 
three different races in a row that has been completely brand new off the top of my head. You're, so you're, te- you're testing us there, but I think you are right because by season two half of the same calendar, you. the same calendar would have been the same. I was, yeah, I, I, think you I was thinking right. season three, but I think Buenos Aires was the third round of the season that year. So it went yeah. Hong Kong, Marrakesh, which were two new races, and then it was Buenos Aires. So uh, I'm, I'm going to have a think and get back. To- we'll get on the googling. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. So coming into it as well, it is going to be a nice spin on the championship anyway to have three new races back to back. It's the three different venues as well. That's what we've got to remember. High speed circuits, some low speed, but elevation are thrown into the mix as well. Sao Paulo, I think, is going to be really entertaining as well. The humidity factor there is going to be unbelievable as well. I think it's going to be a very picturesque setting, similar to what we see at uh, Punta del Este, uh, from what I've seen on the track layout as well. So it's going to be great fun for us watching and commentating on it and doing the report shows. But for the drivers, it's going to be a living hell because they can't test these circuits. They can't do any data beforehand, which means there's more pressure on them not to make, make any mistakes going into the practice sessions. You've got a 15-minute shakedown, then two 30-minute practice. Then we go into qualifying the race. So setup's key. And I think it was a good idea this year for Formula E to put the first practice sessions on the Friday. I think that's a really good idea. Just to give everybody the, the yeah, Pico's looking at me thinking it's a Saturday series. Why are they doing that? No, and no, no. I was looking to see uh, Jack's reaction because he absolutely hates it. Oh, Jack. I disagree, but I'll come to that in a minute. No, but here's, here's my point why it could be good, though. It's because at these circuits, with a new generation of cars, they've got more time overnight to do the setup changes, get the car right, so we get a better race. So we don't want to run into the situation that we did in Miami in season one, where we got one practice session, a quality, and the race was a bit shoddy. So it's it's that situation where we've got to have sort of a gap between them. And I think it works well. Don't see the point on doubleheader weekends, but still, practice on the Friday, race on the Saturday seems to work. And I think India this weekend is going to be really good. One thing I did mention before we came on air, though, was the fact is, is that it's been going around that the grandstands have been put up incredibly late. Some of the track isn't even done correctly. The pit lane is having problems. And the biggest problem is, it's going to be the pollution of the water. Now, there's a river or lake right in the center of the circuit, uh, in the paddock area as well, all the way down to the track. And they haven't put the correct fluids in it in order to get rid of the pollution and, crucially, the smell. So there's going to be a lot of people, I believe, over this weekend complaining of uh, feeling a bit sick because it was too late for them to treat it two weeks ago because it takes four months to do that. And I knew someone once who was an engineer with these things as well, and she says it takes a long time to completely clear up and remove the stink as well that a pond produces. So we're going to have a lot of smells next to that paddock, which could make a couple of people ill. So I wonder if any of the Friday drivers might get a slot in the race if some people get a bit unwell, because I'm sure, as we all know, if you go sit next to a uh, smelly river on a very hot day, you don't end up feeling too well. Uh, Just to come back on to the, uh, have there ever been three races since season one? Uh, Technically, yes. Um, New York twice and Montreal once in season three, uh-huh. but n- it's never three tracks in a three different tracks in a row. So, inter- yeah, so but yeah, so well, technically, New York would be yes, the second one. one, right? So, it's no longer yeah. new, 
You could say yes, you're no longer exactly. new anymore. Yeah, exactly. But it was the first running of the New York E-Prix that ran twice and then uh, Montreal ran twice. Um, but there's never been three different tracks in a row since season one. Yeah, I'm, I, I, another point I wanted to, to point out, actually, which I didn't actually get to in Diria, and it was really cold in, in Mexico, um, it's going to be 33 degrees um, on Saturday in 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 Hyderabad and that's obviously going that's quite an extreme temperature um for formula e and these batteries so pico reliability you know we haven't seen much reliability massive issues so far but could the heat be the first real test um uh, for these gen 3 powertrains uh potentially yes because we were expecting quite a lot of reliability problems going into mexico city so for example in the um in the test race that they did in valencia both neos pulled out really early and uh, i think both nissans end up pulling out by the end of the race there were there were about six or seven cars that didn't really complete it and jaguar were doing their own thing really about half a minute behind the rest of the pack but um so yeah it would uh i w- it wouldn't surprise me if um, if there are uh, mechanical problems this weekend, uh, because yeah, it's um, yeah, it, it'll be hot or hot. So delighted that I'm not there. Uh, otherwise, uh, I'd need my factor fifty. So would I, to be honest with you. So would I, Josh. The great thing though about Hyderabad is that it is a circuit that has already been used before for in racing. So it's got corner names. We're going to a track that has corner names, and I'm really looking forward to this because there's turn 10. Uh, well, it might not be turn 10, but on the official track map, it's turn 10. But um, on for Formula E, we got a chicane at turn one at Hussein Segar, uh, which is a chicane rather than one just looping bend. Um, but turn 10 here, which probably is now turn 11, is Devil's Den. And you mm. can make, make some, some overtakes down at Devil's Den. Um, I'm loving I'm loving some of these. We've got the giant wheel at turn 11. We've got the cinema chicane. I'm hoping to see some form of cinema, right? So That's great... one just called Passport. Is that to remind yeah, Jake Passport, Dennis? yeah. Oh. Passport at turn 14, right? Passport turn 14. We've got the McCann tree section, uh, which will be the turn 6, 7, 8 complex. A garden. There's a garden, uh, by the way, <laughs> turn 5. Uh, the NTR straight, which is after the hairpin. It's the Lubani hairpin. I'm looking forward to Jack Nichols, actually. And actually, a Formula E track having some corner names. You do realise that you've just gone at, you've just done the track the wrong way round yet. Yeah, <laughs> from, I'm very good. From the last corner all the way back <laughs> yeah. around to the first corner. Look, don't, don't ask. I read from left to right. You're not right to... <laughs> from the... Do you think... To be fair, Jack, though, I've seen you drive in a Formula E car, the ERC, and you pretty much do do it the way anyway, so you're probably normal. Uh, I think that's amazing as well. I've got to write those down, actually, on my commentary stats on the on the board as well, so I remember they've actually got corner names. I probably wouldn't use them, uh, because in the heat of battle, it gets quite difficult remembering corner names, but that's brilliant as well. What was that one? Devil's Devil's Turn? Devil's, Devil's Den. Den. Devil's Den. Devil's Den. Oh, I'm going to look forward to commentating on that one then as well. And oh, that would be great as well. Who do I know? Oh, he said I've got a number that we can have. I haven't got the numbers on my stat sheets as, as well, but oh, yes, I have. Who's got the closest one to 666? Well, we've got a 66. Wasn't it Daniel already. App was 66 back in the day? Yeah, we need Daniel App back. <laughs> why? Actually, why isn't he back? That's another little side right? Why isn't Daniel App back? If he's, doing he's, he's doing, doing he's, German he's, TV. He's doing German TV now. He's changed his career. Oh, we'll have to get him on one of these then as well. But <laughs> if his dad's back in charge, get him back. Okay, so, well, we, well, I think, okay, but the closest we've got 33. So Dan Tickton, 
He's a bit of a devil, isn't he? So uh, having Dan Tickton make a move at Devil's Den, that's going to be fantastic. And uh, yeah, and it's also, guys, a great help for us uh, because we get to see a little bit of the track and know the terrain so we know what to spot as well. It's crucial or when you're on the commentary as well to not look like a, uh, you're making it up as you go along, which uh, as we know, Dario let slip a couple of years ago, didn't he, in the commentary that Jack Nichols sits in his hotel room writing out the turn names and coming up with funny little anecdotes for it. But um, I've just had an idea. What was the only other Formula E track on the calendar that actually has corner names? And it's, of course, Monaco. They've got one. Yeah, indeed, indeed. But that one doesn't count because Monaco is Monaco, right? Yeah. So this is the first, I'm saying this is the first Formula E track in inverted commas um, to have their own corner names, um, which we've inherited. Does Valencia have one? Uh, but that Valencia doesn't count. Yeah, technically Valencia does have one. However, I will say that I will uh, that for this weekend I will miss the uh, Jack Nichols official uh, uh, officially calling names things because uh, that was a sentence, wasn't it? Very oh, good wow. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, Nichols naming corners is genuinely one of the. I mean, uh, he he's he, he's a fantastic commentator, but it also he's he he's a funny bloke. So. I, I I do like it when he comes up with these wacky names. My personal favourite over the years in Canada, he took one from the Grand Tour, oh no, the Top Gear, didn't he? And it was in Canada. I remember coming down onto the uh, motorway and there was a little bump on the offspring as well. That's when Bromi did his rear suspension. It was, nobody expects the Canadian speed hump. I thought it was brilliant. <laughs> I, I was giggling so much. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what is interesting though about the track is that there are a couple of overtaking spots. So obviously turn one, we'll have the chicane. So there's a chance there. And then we've got the hairpin, which is going to be where the start is going to be. So different to where the start map is on the official track. Um, so the, the Hussein Cigar is probably going to be, the, the that section is going to be like the, the, the final section, actually, rather than where it says here on, on turn one. But then you've got the hairpin. And obviously we've got, I don't think really, I, I, I'm looking forward to see the layout of Devil's Den, but it might not be a chance for an overtaking section after the after the tree section. And then we got a very similar section to like Diria, um, with 11, 12, a little bit of like a little bobsleigh run and then up towards Cinema Chicane. So it looks like there's a beat, I would say three opportunities um, to for, for overtakes, which is really good to see that Formula retrack because obviously Diria turn 18 was is notorious, right, for overtake. Everyone said we're going to struggle at turn 18. Maybe there wasn't as much as previous seasons, but still turn 18, Josh, was was in in Dira was a was a prime overtaking spot and was the main overtaking spot so we could potentially have free in Hyderabad which might make things very interesting I'm going to assume I haven't seen where attack mode is uh been launched at the, on the former retrack yet um but I'm going to assume it, 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 will, the, it will be it will the be hairpin. on the hairpin it will it be the hairpin makes, makes the most sense um going by Formula E's history so um it'll be interesting to see what happens Indeed, as well. The amount of puns I'm already thinking as well with making a deal with the devil at airpins as well. I'm, I'm, I'm rattling them off as we go uh, as well. But I think uh, I've just thought of another one, actually. I can't say, I don't know if I can get away with that one at 9am on the commentary. So I might have to sneak it in before the watershed cuts us off on YouTube commentaries. But still. Um, Do it for practice too at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm doing that one live actually as well. So that because otherwise it'll just not get edited before qualifying starts. But uh, I think more overtaking opportunities the better. And it's sort of it's a street circuit, but it's also been raced on before, makes it semi permanent. So I like it. Let's see what happens. I've just seen a trap map actually you've put up on the thing as well. And that hairpin, I think I saw attack mode at the hairpin, didn't I? You were right, Pico. 
Oh, so I say Penske now that you've got a DS car. Uh, but still, it's it's um and it's an interesting layout as well. And it kind of looks I can see where the where the river is now, actually, on the circuit layout. So yeah, it's gonna be entertaining. And let's just hope that uh, we get some decent racing from it as well. And I'll go work on the puns ready for the I lo- commentary. I lo- what I've loved about this podcast, boys, is Josh's geography knowledge um, around India. Um, I've absolutely loved that. Um, boys, I think we have rabbited on for long enough. Um, do we do predictions? Because I got told off that I didn't do a prediction last time from some people in chat, and I completely forgot. But we were running very close on time. We're not too bad on time this time. We've technically gone overtime. Um, we've managed to extend recording uh, for this one for you, for you lovely people listening. Um, so let's do two races to cover and then preview another one. It's yeah. double the the amount basically. Double the workload. I know, man. Anyway, right. Let's start with Josh. Then Josh, who's winning in India? Jake Dennis. Jake Dennis will win, Pascal Verlein will be second, and Lucas Degrassi will be third. If that's not the order, I'll have to eat my microphone. Pico. Mitch Evans win. The Porsche, uh, the Porsche deadlock is broken. Uh both both of them will still be top five. Both Verlein and Dennis will still be top five. But the Porsche deadlock is broken. Mitch Evans wins. My tea's gone cold and I coughed that out when you said that as well. No, no one's breaking the Porsche deadlock. Not here. Well, okay. So I got to be left field, right? Well, I'm going to go for it then. Jake Do Hughes. you? Jake okay, Hughes. I was going to go Maximilian Gunther. I wanted to go Maximilian Gunther. Don't get me wrong. but I, I think it's still a bit too soon for that. I, yeah. uh, I, I, I think they'll come on. They'll come on song by like Berlin, but. Yeah, yeah, I'm. I'm going. Jake Hughes. Yeah. He's he's going to do it. He is going to do it, boys. It has been a mammoth podcast. Uh, thank you so much for joining me, and we will see you soon um, for after the Hyderabad E Pre, where we talk about that, and then Cape Town. Can you believe it? it's just coming thick and fast, boys? Thank you so much for being on the show with me. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I'll see you all again soon. Goodbye. Thank you.